Alrighty, guys. Uh, thanks for listening today. I'm your co-host, Sean Lockery. And I'm Nate Ferg. And this is Robust Discuss. This is a podcast where we aim to talk about you know, various topics ranging from U.S. politics to the world stage and philosophical questions, debates about current events, and we'll even throw in those miscellaneous topics from now and then. Uh, pretty much today, we have a very interesting topic for you all today. Nate, if you want to take that off for us. Right, so today's topic, we're going to be talking about uh, tax evasions with multi-billion dollar corporations. Basically, we want to cover a couple of ways that, people, that businesses can do tax evasions. There's a couple ways for those of you that don't know that they go about this. Uh, first one being the obvious one, which is foreign subsidiaries. Um, basically, this talks about this goes into how, like, if people have daughter companies or smaller companies, they call them subsidiaries, they siphon their money from their bigger corporation and they say, oh, we owe this company that much. So they move their money to that. And that's how they, that's how they get around it, it be, with it being out of country. Yeah, like it, it, lessens, it makes it look like their big their parent company is making less money because they owe you know, X company such amount of money. But we'll get a little further into that. It go a little further in there, but we're just going to touch on the brief ones first, just to like get an idea. Uh, the next one is depreciation. With depreciations, how it works is basically companies they avoid their tax by accelerating the depreciation. The relative degree of freedom in tax laws has allowed companies to expense the cost of their capital at a faster pace. This is actually then it actually wears out. This allows companies to declare less income and defer paying taxes until later years. And as long as the company continues to invest, the deferral taxes can continue for an indefinite amount of time. We'll go a little bit more further into that later on. And the third point that companies use for tax evasion is stock options. So in plenty of companies you see where people get to a higher position, say as managers, I know that me and Sean actually work together in all business that we worked together where we actually met, they actually offered stocks to the managers, which that in turn gives those companies tax breaks. Then the fourth option that they have is industry specific options. So in fields like research, oil and gas drilling, ethanol production, alternative energy, and even in video game, in, in the video game industry and also film production, in some cases they're privileged by the federal tax code to receive certain tax breaks. So what we're going to go into next, we're just going to kind of touch a little bit more further on the foreign subsidiaries. And actually, Sean actually had a couple of interesting points about that, that he had a little opinion about. Yeah, uh, pretty much like, I feel like that's the one that a lot of people would agree that is, is kind of hurting the, can be hurting the, you know, the tax revenue that's coming into our government. And that specifically, they, they call them shell corporations because they're essentially a empty shell. They genuinely are. They don't have any kind of, they don't have any kind of like- Purpose? No, no, like employee base, location, okay. essentially how it works. There is a, there's a single building in the Grand Cayman Islands that houses 19,000 supposed corporations. They don't have, you know, the, the, the reason they're shell is they don't have like payroll people. They don't have employees. They don't have a call like 
Yeah. So pretty much with how the, the, the foreign thing works like that is they're called shell companies and they're essentially just an empty shell. They typically only exist on paper. They have no full-time employees and they don't normally have an office. A single office building in the Cayman Islands, for example, is actually home to roughly 19,000 shell companies. And so it, it's essentially like it, it's just an empty shell. I mean, so basically you're saying that they're just, I, I don't understand, I'm sorry, I don't understand that, how like a bunch of companies can still have the same address and like have no employees. I don't, I don't understand how that shows up on the records as a business. Because it's it's just a, it's, it's existing essentially on paper. They're a legal entity that's created on paper. It, the, a business is a is is created on paper to say that this is my business, you know. Then then you go out and buy a building and put a sign up and stuff like that. But to have the business, at first you have to create it like legally through documentation. And if you just have like one address to send your your mail to or something or your location, and even I'm pretty sure they could probably just reroute the mail. Say, oh, we we have a mail subsidiary over here. You got to talk to these guys, and they're at this address. You know, there's easily a way around that, but the the essential point is that the company only exists on paper. They legally said, I created this company and it's based out of this location. That just don't seem right to me. Okay. That doesn't seem right to me. That's, uh, yeah, that's, well, that's the idea is that's, that's the, that's how they use it. Now they use these shell companies essentially to house money from their own company. Now, there's also like a, a counter to this is that there are people and the reason you can't just be like, oh, well, then make that illegal, bro. Drop that off. Like you can't just do that because there are normal folk that use these same tax havens. They use these. You mean like smaller business companies? Like smaller exactly. businesses? Uh, they use shell companies for reasons that may be um, – that may be making it harder for potential creditors, like including like former spouses or dis- displeased business partners, tax inspectors to identify and recoup monies that they're owed and stuff like that. Investments, essentially they can use it to hold money in a place and like not have to pay to it um, and say like, oh, like this isn't my money at the moment. They have it's essentially gone further with that in the legal sense of with businesses and have their own shell companies and like, have a whole entity that they say they owe this X, X amount of money and then that cuts out on their total profit as a mm-hmm. as a business. So something that we had talked about was or really a question we have. This could be for audience and us to interpret in this case, but just one of my solutions that I think might have a possibility of working, it probably would have to be tweaked a little bit, but I would say a way we could get around this or a way that people could start making this money be taxed is that anytime something is offshored or put into a different company offshores, I think that that there should be a fee for that, which would count as tax for that. So a percentage of that money that's being paid to the offshore company would have to be taxed in order for it to be converted from US currency to the foreign currency. Or even like you, I mean, obviously they could just say, then they could just not come, like they would just not convert it. And, but uh, anyway, beyond that, essentially what I'm trying to say is I do agree initially with your idea, but I think the issue is that that will create other issues for smaller companies and other people to do business with outside entities from our from our own country. The example that the article I'm reading off of the investigation, the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, the they talk about an example they give 
about tax havens is a pharmaceutical company would have an entity in the Bermuda or Netherlands, and they essentially sell this this entity a patent for one of their drugs. That then company says that they have to pay a a licensing fee to use this patent. So then they say, hey, we owe this company X amount of money. And so initially, you know, your idea right there would solve that problem. Them paying that entity would be taxed and they wouldn't get around the money. However, how do you distinguish in a court of law system from the company who's doing it like that, where the actual heads are eventually just getting all that money back? And the people who are just using a patent that some guy in Germany created and they want to, yo, you know, create their stuff on, in the United States and use everything in the United States. And now you're just going to add an extra tax onto them because the, the, you know, the intellectual property happens to come from another country. And so I think like that would create that. That's what I mean. I think your intro about needing to tweak it. Yeah. You'd have to figure out a way to distinguish that. But I think that obviously gets into the really complicated law code and stuff that gets really in depth, you know, which that's all above. Yeah. I would say that's all above our our understanding. I'm just trying to, and like the idea is to spit all these ideas. And so I like your idea. I think it, and in all honesty, it does, it solves that problem instantly. You know, they can't, they can't do, they can't take that money and put it out there. It's instantly taxed. But then what about the people who are doing it because it just happens to come from another country? It adds that to, you know what I mean? I mean, it, it would have to be equal. I mean, that wouldn't be fair for anybody else. I feel like that would be the only way to solve that issue. But what I'm saying is like, what about the small businesses who aren't making a lot of money and are using an an intellectual property from Germany? They only have workshops in America. They're only employing Americans and they're only doing American like business, but they just happen to use like a patent for a computer part that came out of Germany. And now you're going to tax them when they pay them, you know, $2,000 a year or some crazy number. Like now they have to pay them just a little bit more. They're losing out on just a little bit more. Like because you see what you see the thing. Like what if they're already such a small. And then how do you difference that from that a company that's just trying to use an outside thing to make American made things versus someone who's using it to then get that money back. And like on paper, it's very hard to connect. Income bracket. Yep. Income brackets. I mean, oh, like you. Oh, you mean like the income brackets of different people? Okay, so it'd be the same thing as like you and me paying our taxes like every year. It'd be the same thing as that. Like different income brackets pay a different amount. So again, I see the idea, but possibly. Well, so too, I think all the the actual answers come up a little bit above our pay grade in terms of the law code because. I'm not even 100% on how the whole tax brackets work. It, it gets really in-depth in the bounds of money you make and the different assets you can claim and then how you can still get tax evasion, like tax deductibles based on you know what, what you do and how you drive to work or this or that or what, what things you can take off and stuff. I, it gets really in-depth, honestly. Yeah, you're right. Um, it does get in-depth. What, so what was the next one that we were talking about out, outside of the... The next, next one we were going to talk about was depreciation. So yeah. the whole section of it, I'm going to go over it again. So with accelerated depreciation, the relative degree of freedom in tax laws has allowed companies to expense the cost of their capital at a faster pace than it actually wears out. This allows a company to declare less income and defer paying taxes until later years. And as long as the company continues to invest, the deferral of taxes can continue for an indefinite amount of time. Hmm. Okay. So there's... If I'm gathering that right, they're essentially stating that they are 
that there's an X amount of cost to run their company, but in actuality, it's a lesser cost than the over the years than it is than that that they're claiming. It's a less lesser cost over the years than it is than they're claiming. I mean, I, I'm sure there's cases where it actually is that situation where like people they like the company costs a lot. To, like when you're starting up a business. Yeah, I true. It does. It, it yeah. takes an X amount of money, you know, but then eventually it starts to balance out. So I could see that being essential for businesses that are starting up. But then when it comes to the businesses that have been going on for years and years and years, like we talked about that five year margin when last in our last podcast, where you see after five years, that's when you see if a company is going to be successful or not. I'd say after that certain, I'd say after a certain point, a way you could get around that is after an X amount of years, that company is automatically cut off from that. Like from the, the, the okay, I see from the benefit. All right. I mean, yeah, that, and again, that, that probably comes down to some really difficult law code that might make uh, be a little bit of a, above our pay grade in terms of, you know, how, what's that cutoff? And what's our right to, you know, what's the government's right to say that cutoff or dictate when a company should be up upstarted enough? You know, it gets, yeah, that, that's, that'd get really difficult, but that would help alleviate the ability to do it inevitably, like inevitably, you know? And I'm not saying this is a big issue because I don't think this is a big issue, but I mean... I mean, I, yeah, I wouldn't say that's the major one. The major one I'm a little worried about is obviously the tax havens, like the people who are genuinely just using a shell company to owe you know, X amount of money to lower their initial profits. So, anyway, the, so the, going into the next one? Yeah, the next one would be the stock options. In this case, you see businesses that offer stock shares to their higher up employees, or even in some cases, even the regular shared employees. Like, I like Publix. Publix I know you used one of your... Yeah, Publix. You told me about Publix. They use. So yeah, I think it's like after a year, you can start earning stocks as you work there. You brought up a point saying that even in some of those cases, it doesn't exactly balance out with any, like, just like say they give them a share, doesn't exactly balance out to a huge tax break. Like, it's not equal. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't think it is. Um, and yeah, so I agree, like, as initially that that would, that that does, like, kind of help. But I think. In the long run, companies are able to abuse those tax breaks versus how much stock they're giving out. And then, you know, that stock may not, you know, it's not costing them anything to give out the stock. You know, it's not it's not necessarily affecting their paychecks as much as it does you know, giving a few per- percentage of a stock. And because so, they already like certain CEOs and stuff own a certain amount and different things like that. They're not it's the, the point I'm getting at is that it's. I think they can benefit more down the line by those tax breaks than they do than the actual employees do from a few stocks. But that also might vary very extremely from case to case basis based on the company. Yeah, absolutely. Some, yeah, yeah. Some companies could abuse that and try to get the max tax break, and some companies may give out plentiful enough stock, and it may be, you know, they may be giving out a fantastic amount where it's worth it. So who who knows? Who knows? Honestly. Well, the problem with that is there's literally billions and billions of companies out there, and like exactly. And so the the issue becomes on creating legislation is how do you dictate between those? You know, how do you dictate between the one what what legislative things can you do to narrow that down without being unfair? It gets it gets really in depth. It would have to be bracketed, man. That, I, I, that's really the only option I see in this one. Like it, with all these like solutions, I don't really only see it being like bracketed based off the company income. That's really but see, but see the. I think that as well as that does work, 
as we've seen with the tax havens, you can make it look through paperwork that your company has X amount of profits when you don't, when you actually have more, like through the, the pharmaceutical company paying that licensing fee. Some companies do have, may have very high licenses fees and some may be using it as a tax loop. How do you tell which one is truly having income at the end of the day? You know, you can change out that income a bit to drop just a bit into the lower bracket and pay less. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. If they if they did it right, I feel like they could get their income down enough. No, 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 they absolutely could. But this is a very like in-depth topic on this one and it's kind of hard to i can i see your point it's kind of hard to keep track of that like yeah exactly it, it only gets way really like do that nitpicking is investigation that's the, really the only way you can find that is investigating it yeah and that's why i think it would have to come down to a case-by-case basis and then how do you create legislation around a case-by-case basis scenarios you know it gets i think that's why maybe that's why there isn't legislation because nobody can agree on that solution but that's why we have a court system i guess you can sue companies for this kind of thing, I imagine, you know, for not like benefiting you and paying you correctly, things like that. So wonder sure. if that's just the route people need to go or I don't know. Again, a little bit of above our pay grade in terms of what that legislation could be. So the, uh, so the last fourth one, topic, the yeah, point. the fourth topic on that one would be industry specific options. Okay. In some cases with industries such as research, oil, gas drilling, ethanol production, alternative energy, I'm I'm sorry. I'm still surprised by this one, the video game industry, and I can see it fill production, but they're privileged by federal tax code to receive certain tax breaks. So my question here is, what is your opinion when it comes to industries receiving tax breaks, such, such as like the gas industry, the oil industry receiving a tax break? I think it, um, I think the the issue, in my opinion, is giving them a tax, giving them tax breaks for something that will inevitably destroy our world. I think the argument that needs to be made is that you need to stop making it a lucrative opportunity to destroy our world and make it difficult, take away these tax subsidies. This is obviously, I want to preface this by saying it's obviously a very, very long-term kind of solution. You can't just snap away these tax breaks and, you know, bankrupt all these economies, economies, bankrupt all these companies. You have to obviously do this over a time period and slow transition from that focus on oil and gas into green energy. And I think that that's, that also sparks up kind of a separate conversation of the green energy end game of running our world off of that. But I do think that is the end game. I think eventually everything should run off of renewable energy. But I also fully agree that that's a very hard issue to get to. And so I think the answer to your question is like directly is that I don't think those tax breaks should be there. But I also recognize that you can't just take them away. The thing that the, here's my issue with it is it's kind of vague to know what those tax breaks are exactly for. That's the thing. So what exactly are they receiving a tax break for? Just basically being existing. But I understand the reason behind it is it's encouraging those kind of companies because those make our infrastructure. So like I understand the whole point of like, oh, you're going to receive a little bit of support because you support the whole infrastructure of a whole economy, basically. 
And I do, I kind of do agree with you in the sense that they shouldn't just receive that because that encourages them to further develop those industries. Like I do agree with the alternative energy industry, that being them. I kind of see that would need a tax break in some cases because it's, I wouldn't say it's as big as the oil industry because it's not, we're not as dominantly dependent on it as we are the oil oil industry, which it kind of leads us to that. Yeah. And that's, I, I think that that is the idea is that that is a transition that needs to happen, but it's also, it's also rather difficult um, to, to get there essentially. But back on your question, the one you were saying is kind of difficult to know what those are. I have a few right here. Okay. And this is, this is coming off of the environmental and energy study Institute. So I would classify this as a credible source as a credible source. Anyway, the direct subsidies that some of them are given. So the first one is is intangible drilling cost deductions. It's 26 U.S. Code 263 active. Again, going above our pay grade. I don't know what those exact numbers and dis- like distinctions mean, but that's the specific part. Anyway, the provision allows companies to deduct a majority of the costs incurred from drilling new wells domestically. So what this... What this essentially does, and I'm assuming this is come, this came under President Trump because it then says in the next sentence, in an analysis of presidential Trump's fiscal year 2017 budget proposal, the Joint Committee of Tax on Taxation estimated that eliminating the tax breaks for intangible drilling costs, which means saying in like these using these this deductions would generate 1.59 billion dollars in revenue in 2017 or 13 billion over the next 10 years. Beyond that, my point there is that the you know the drilling new wells domestically, obviously the yeah that's in telling them to do it in America. I see how that sound all that sounds beneficial, but I think the end game is we shouldn't be creating legislation that encourages destroying the country. I understand this does help our you know keep them in our country because it tells them to drill new wells domestically, but I don't think that's you're telling them to keep destroying our country domestically. I don't know. I, I don't. I still don't think that should be the end game. Um, another one is percentage, de- the percentage depletion. Uh, actually, no, this, this works actually much like depreciation, allowing a business to deduct a certain amount from the tax income and declining production. But with depletion, if a firm were to extract 10% of recoverable oil from a property, the depletion expense would be 10% of the capital costs. So if like, if they were only able to recover a certain percentage of the oil, they could claim that a certain percentage of their expenses, like if they couldn't extract this amount, they can take that away from their expenses kind of thing. And so, I, and again, that, that that can be helpful, obviously, for certain companies that, you know, if you fail out on some parts and you can't get things, they the, the percentage can help you things. But it's also not based on capital costs and deductions can exceed capital costs. It's, it gets really, and again, I don't think we should be benefiting, it goes down to still we shouldn't be benefiting people to drill. A couple other things, they did like some last in, first out accounting, where it was an accounting method that allowed oil and gas companies to sell fuel most recently added to the reserves, and as opposed to selling the older ones. So they were able to, under the, um, under the traditional first in, first out, like FIFO idea, the, this allows the expensive reserves to be sold and then reducing the value like over over time of their inventory for taxation purposes because they can sell off the expensive stuff and then claim, oh, our inventory only has this and this is worth nothing. 
or whatever. You know, it makes what they have worth less because they've already gotten rid of what they have that was expensive. And those are just some, there's quite a few, but I'm not going to go into every single one here. But there's, there's quite a few that's, that go like that. They have like uh, master limited partnerships, domestic manufacturing deductions, they have for foreign tax credit, non-conventional fuel tax credit, credit for clean coal investment. Those two words, clean coal, I don't think should go together. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. I, but I think that the idea is that those, I don't think any of them should exist, but I don't think we can take them away. It's a, it's a conversation of how do you get them taken away? And there has been some things. The Clean Energy for America Act was introduced in 2019, amends to the, internet, the, the inter, Internal Revenue Code to replace the 44 existing energy tax credits with three technology-neutral tax provisions that would incentivize the use of low and zero emission technologies, including clean electricity, transportation, and energy efficiency. So there's back to what you were saying about helping people transition you talked you had talked about that with me before and that's an idea to help transition those credits to instead of giving it to the gas companies give more credits to the to people who are using like low to zero emission technologies um they do have a couple other financing energy future act things like that but i think i think that the bottom line comes to a very complicated question of how do you make that transition without bankrupting all these companies that are obviously employing plentiful of americans while not continuing to destroy our country and country and our I, world for, i really like this topic like, you know what i mean i really like this topic like of green energy versus oil energy you know like a, i do too but you know what oil versus new and I, I think we should we should cover this in our next week's topic uh green energy versus oil energy that's a great plan um for all our listeners here definitely definitely y'all stick around y'all hear us next week we'll be talking more about that we'll go we'll go real in depth into how i think and how my friend nate here thinks that we could kind of make that transition and what the ways are to do it because i think the majority of americans will agree that the oil and gas industry does at the moment employ quite a plentiful amount of people however i would argue that the majority of americans would also say that the end game should be almost all renewable and green energy so it's the idea of how do you get there without how do you find that middle ground without hurting all those people who are currently in this industry well um i think it'll be a really interesting episode i'm really glad you guys all stuck around for this one we had a lot of a lot of high caliber topics but i think we i think we hit them pretty well nate i think we did a good job i would agree i'm just gonna kind of leave it with a little summary of it yep go on so, ahead four ways that people go around with the tax evasions subsidiaries depreciation stock options, and then industry-specific tax breaks. I'm going to leave it with you guys on a question. How do you guys think we can get around this to make it more fair for everybody and not necessarily allow the upper class, the top 2% to get around everything with their tax evasions? Yeah. I think we. I think you gave some fantastic ideas there, Nate, about how you could implement laws and legislation to block the ability to siphon money out of the country or avoid tax tax breaks like that. But I think the answer comes is how do you stop? How do you do that without hindering the small businesses? So that's a great question for our listeners out there. If you guys have any ideas, feel free to send it in. Let us know. Um, might even have some people on the podcast who might have uh, some interesting ideas on how we can get all of that done. But for now, guys, we are all glad you guys listened to us and we hope to see you all next week. Thanks for listening. Peace out, folks.